Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com. That's our mothership. It's where we live. Head on over to the podcast tab. We have a library that is now 33 episodes deep. We've interviewed the likes of Art Davey, the original UFC owner, Matt Brown, Andre Arlovsky, Mark Hunt, just to name drop a few. We, of course, are available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundClouds. Give us a download. Give us a follow. Write a review, why don't you, if you like us. We appreciate it so much. And, of course, we appreciate our sponsor. Sisu Mouthguard. You know what? They're not only our sponsor. I happen to be a consumer of Sisu Mouthguards. It's a quid pro quo. It's a reciprocal relationship. I love my Sisu Mouthguard. I wear it when I'm rolling. It keeps my chompers safe. And what inevitably happens is one of my training partners will ask me something and I'll say, hey, bro, I can't even understand you. You got your mouth guard in. Why don't you go on over to SISUGuard.com, get yourself a Sisu mouth guard, and I'll be able to understand you like you can understand me right now because I'm talking with my mouth guard in my mouth, okay? They're light, they're breathable, they're durable. It's the best mouth guard on the market. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Hey, follow our show. We're Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Hey, head on over to Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Just search for Top Turtle MMA. And hey, thank you so much for listening. Episode 33 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by CSU Mouthguards. We are rolling Top Turtle MMA Podcast, Episode 33. We have a great show for you. We will talk to Jeremy Kennedy and Josh Emmett. But before we do that, there was a fight card this past weekend, Gumby. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched every damn second of it. So let's just get right on into it. Uh, Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, fight for the ages, as predicted on Top Turtle Podcast, a majority decision and or split decision were in the mix for us. I recommended it on our parlays to play, or sorry, props to play last week. And sure enough... Uh, Conor McGregor won the decision in a back-and-forth contest. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I mean, it pretty much went down the way that I thought it was going to go down. You know, a lot of people were shocked by, you know, going the distance or whatever because they had, you know, one guy by knockout or the other guy by knockout or Diaz by submission. But to me, it was just, you know, you knew Conor was going to play it like that. You knew there was so much on the line for Conor and his legacy that he needed to play sort of safe. I was just going to say, so he didn't, compared to the first fight, we saw no spinning shit. One. Once there was spinning shit, I screamed at my TV when it happened. <laughs> we saw him attack the leg, which is obviously the blueprint to success against both Diaz brothers. And we saw him not load up on the left. Uh, when he did... He picked his spots. He picked his spots. Yeah. Right. And uh, it was a great game plan. Uh, it was just... I don't know, man. I mean... It, Fight of the year, it's that, or it's Robbie Lawler versus Carlos Condit. But you know what? The stakes were higher for Diaz and McGregor. Which is, which is crazy to say, seeing as it wasn't a title fight and the other one was. But you're, the, you're world, the world we live in. You're 100% right. It's it's big paydays for the rest of your life or like possibly losing a huge chunk of the spotlight, right? Like as if Conor McGregor loses that one, two losses in a row, who believes his shit talk anymore? Yeah. I wouldn't. So this is the way I look at it, and obviously this has been hotly and highly debated the last few days. I gave Connor one, 
and two and round four. One and four are clear cut to me. I have not rewatched it, and I do need to do that. But for two, because of the two knockdowns, I don't care that Diaz started winning the last 90 seconds of round two. Yeah, I don't. I, I come from, you know, I grew up watching boxing pay-per-views and then stopped because they were raping me of my money. <laughs> but, you know, a knockdown is big, and obviously they're shorter rounds. But to me, when he knocked down Diaz twice, that's his round. Yeah, and, and you know what, too, about that, too, is so I, I did the same thing as you. Obviously, we're all scoring at home. I had Connor clear on one and two and probably on four. Um, four was tight. Four, four was tighter than two for me. And you know what? The, you know, the fact that both of us are saying that, and if you look at the judges' scorecards, every single judge gave him all three of those rounds. I mean, for those of you who are out there complaining that Diaz won that fight, I mean, look at MMA decisions. I mean, only one guy in all of on all of the MMA decision websites that get tracked, only one guy said Diaz won that. All three judges said he didn't win it. Me and Dave are here telling you he didn't win it. The only thing I would say is, I you know, you can make some sort of argument for a, a draw. I would not make an argument for a Diaz win. Now, that being said, if we were going old school UFC one round... 30 minutes, you just look at how the fight ended with Diaz on top in the fifth round. I believe Diaz wouldn't have won, but this is the rule set we were given. You get breaks between rounds, and Connor won three out of the five rounds. Connor fought a smart MMA fight under the current rules in the judging format. That, yeah. I mean, that, that end of story. Yep. So he's a, he's a really cerebral fighter. So let me ask you this Does it at all bother you? Because a lot of this is coming out of the Diaz fan camp that Connor ran at certain points of the fight. It, it bothers me only as much as it bothered me when Condit did the same thing to his brother. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in a day and age where we want, everybody chirps about this being a legitimate sport. Everybody chirps at saying that, you know, MMA has to be a legitimate sport. Well, you know what? At the end of a football game, the, the football team that's winning takes a knee, right? <laughs> right. You know, this guy knows he's winning these rounds. Great and point. he's not going to take an extra hit for it. He's not going to take two He or knew three. he had won three out of the five exactly. rounds at that point. And he knows he's not going to stand in the pocket and win. So why be there? You know what I mean? Why be there? Yeah. So, I, I mean, like, to me, that that's just good, good game planning on his part. And if you don't like it, that's just what the sport of MMA has become. That is a fantastic point. Um, you know, the other thing I just can't help but take away from this and not to over glorify it or over dramify it. But the comebacks on both sides, I mean, what a piece of art from Diaz coming back late in round two and then dominating round three to the Connor comeback in round four. It looked like the- he got plugged in in between round three and four. All of a sudden, he had this, like, miraculous amount of energy. It was like some Hollywood movie Rocky-type shit. It was really good. Yeah, I mean, it, not enough nice things could be said about the way this fight went down. I'm actually, like, I'm saving the rewatch. Usually with big fights, I'll rewatch it a couple of days later. Oh, what was the real scoring? You know, Joe Rogan, he can sometimes influence <laughs> me. Uh, you know, I like to watch it a couple of days later with perspective. I'm saving this. Like, it's like a special gift I'm going to give myself <laughs> in a few weeks when I rewatch it. Um, all right. So let's go to the, uh, I guess, fallout from it all. Dana White has already uh, laid down his judge's hammer. The mandate has come down. Connor either goes down and defends his title against Jose Aldo, which it sounds like he does not want to do because he starched him in 13 seconds last December and his coach John Cavanaugh already went on the MMA hour this week and said he sees no point to Connor going back down to 145 so that was option one given by Dana 
go down to 145, defend your belt, or be stripped. And then it was like, and here's your punishment if you don't defend the 145-pound belt, son. You're going to get a 155-pound title shot against Eddie Alvarez, which kind of is actually a punishment because I think Eddie Alvarez would just wrestle him to death. But what do you think? I I mean, so... What, what do I think in the way of the, how that fight goes? I think that fight's an interesting fight, and I'd have to break it down if it ever comes to play. Well, what do you want Connor to I, do? I want him to go back down to 45, and I, I know it sucks that Jose Aldo is technically the interim champ down there, and that's who he's got to go fight. You know, like if he could go down and fight Max Holloway again, I'd be more into that because it's just something new. I just wanted a, you know, I wanted a fresh matchup. Not that he hadn't fought Max Holloway before. I get what fight. you're saying. It's been a few years. They're both very different fighters. Exactly. You know, or Frankie Edgar be in. Mm-hmm. You know, Jose Aldo, going back down to 45 wouldn't even be a fucking question. He would be down there. Mm-hmm. It's just a guy he beat in 13 seconds. He, he He's right. He doesn't have anything to gain from it, but now he does have something to lose from it. You know what I mean? The, the belts don't really matter. Let's all be honest. And when it comes to Connor, the belt does not make the man. He makes the belt. I think he should just say fuck off to the flyweight division. He can, or sorry, the featherweight division. He can tout himself as the unbeaten or the never beaten featherweight champion or the real featherweight champion and then go back and get it in a year or two if he has other fun matchups he wants in the in the present i I agree with that but the only thing i will say is one thing you will notice about conor mcgregor is he doesn't go fucking anywhere without his belt every single press conference he's got his belt over his shoulder he asked for it to be put in the ufc 196 poster when they didn't release it at first exactly a photo of him with the belt he fucking loves having the belt you tell him you're going to take that belt from him and he technically doesn't own it anymore I think it is a huge motivator for him. You know what I mean? I think him having something that is a status symbol of being the greatest means something to Conor McGregor. So another interesting thing was in the post-fight, and whatever Dana says in public and whatever Conor says in public from here on out, we have to take with a grain of salt, they are negotiating against each other at this point. We already saw what happened with the press conference bullshit around UFC 200, yada yada. But Conor said in the post-fight, we'll see what my next move is. I'm paraphrasing here. It might not even be in the sport an obvious threat that he wants to go fight McGregor now, or sorry, Mayweather. Now he can't do that because he's under UFC contract unless Mayweather's people made it uh, financially beneficial to the UFC. To there's, re- there's nothing financially beneficial to the UFC though, in my opinion, because I think the hit it takes if McGregor loses to a boxer, even if it's in a boxing match is too big to even risk it. So I don't think under any circumstance the UFC would allow that. I don't know if I, I... I see where you're coming from with that. I don't know if I 100% agree with it, though, because I think just the rub of being in the same ring with Mayweather to a whole new fan base who's, you know, dead set on MMA is violent or it's cage fighting or it's this or it's that. If McGregor puts up a respectable showing... But what if he doesn't? What if he goes in there and gets starched in 13 seconds just like Aldo did and all of a sudden... You've lost your, one of your only superstars left in the UFC. Well, your buy rates drop like crazy. Well, that's why I like this idea and what I think McGregor was actually hinting at. Because I don't think the Mayweather fight's ever going to come about. Mayweather, he's off his rocker he, to begin he, with. Yeah, he and seems like I think out. he was just using McGregor's name to kind of keep his name in the public. He's smart that way. But I'm sure you've heard the rumors that Amir Khan, the boxer has MMA connections, he owns part of a promotion, he trains with other MMA fighters. He has said he would come fight McGregor in an MMA ring, quote, I only need six months which is to train, which is insanity. He'd get killed, but he would do a one-for-one. Connor boxes him, and he does MMA. Yeah, I, again, I just don't see a situation where the UFC allows it because, 
I think there's so much to lose. And and they've pretty much gone on record saying is they're never going to allow somebody out of their contract to go do other things. You know, the only thing people leave for is they do a grappling match here or there, and that's pretty much MMA anyway. Or Ronda Rousey appearing at WrestleMania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, okay. So that's different, though. No matter what she does there, she doesn't lose any of her luster. You yeah, know I'm what I mean? Like, even if, okay, so say she was like the undefeated champ she was, you know, nine months ago. Even if she was that and she went into WrestleMania and, like, showed up. No matter what the the script read, she was fine. Well, and that's why I actually have another conspiracy theory, not just a mere con. <laughs> so many. Been hanging but, out with Eddie Bravo. <laughs> the the uh you know Connor talked shit on WWE last week. I'm sure you saw very clickbaity. Yeah. Everyone ran stories of it, and the WWE superstars, as they are called, in unison, all kind of chirped back. And what I found very interesting was they all had the same insult. Which was, you're the size of my leg, you would be in our cruiserweight division, you're small, even so much as uh, the announcers at their big pay-per-view on Sunday, or it's not a pay-per-view anymore because they have a streaming service, they call that an over-the-top service in the biz, Uh, they said something about it saying, well, he's so small, it's so uniform that I actually think they're setting up some sort of WWE angle where he comes in and knocks out the big show, like their biggest wrestler. Okay, yeah. It, you know what? I will say if, if that is, is something that might happen, I, I would completely agree with that. Because even if he came in and did a one-off wrestling and got beat, mm-hmm. none of the luster's gone because yeah. everybody knows it's fucking stage, so right. nobody really cares. You know, But losing, I, I think the, the idea of him losing at a sport that is somewhat involved in MMA is so scary to the U.S. Being boxing. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, what do you do with Nate Diaz, who, before you answer, it should also be noted, smoked a vape pen don't, with CBD oil. It has to be, because now Usada's already said they're going to investigate, so who knows if he's suspended. But let's just say Diaz is not suspended, and Connor goes and has to do the ultimatum, either Jose or Eddie Alvarez. What do you do with Nate Diaz? All right, so I'm, I'm going to go on record saying... I didn't pitch this idea at first, but then somebody told me, and I can't believe I'm buying it. But if Connor fights Jose Aldo, I'm fine with the UFC giving Nate Diaz to Eddie Alvarez. Sure. Uh, and the reason is being is you can't get any more out of Nate Diaz than you can right fucking now. Strike while the iron is hot. His fan base is fired up. He's fired up. And he said he's not taking anything until he gets Connor again. Would his tone change for a 155 title shot? Yeah, it would. Would it change if it was Eddie Alvarez? Absolutely. And could you imagine if, you know, Connor goes down and beats Aldo again, and he goes down and beats Alvarez, and you can set up the trilogy to make Connor a double champion? The the potential of what could happen there is amazing. Now, Take my money now. If we're talking about what actually makes sense... I'd love to see him move back to 55 oh, yeah. and fight somebody like uh, RDA or the RDA Ferguson winner. Right. You know, somebody along that caliber, somebody pretty close to a title shot. He just had some two really grueling fights with an amazing fighter. Habib does not have a t- uh, any fight right now. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I want to book him with Habib. Oh, right dude, now. what about this? So Dana White... <laughs> just dropped on his head 14 oh, times. Hold on, but just imagine this. Are you ready? Dana White said, I have to call Habib. He's been blowing me up. Uh, we want to run Russia, and we obviously want Habib to headline that card. 
Now imagine, if you will, Nate motherfucking Diaz in his represent shirt just walking around the streets of Russia. I'll watch that embedded right now. There ain't no Whole Foods in Russia. Where is he going to eat? There's no way he would do that, by the way. Hey, by the way. I mean, I love the concept, but not a chance. By the way, if you watch that embedded show, did you watch any of that? Uh, I watched some of it, but not all of it. Well, every embedded now featuring Nate Diaz has a segment where he goes to Whole Foods. And I really (laughs) think the UFC has a concept up there they're missing nate diaz goes to whole foods i that's a show i would watch it's, every it's week just like a 20 minute webisode <laughs> yeah just week. a webisode and these are the nuts i get what's up <laughs> fuck um, this edamame <laughs> anyway so uh i think we've kind of wrapped up connor diaz would you agree yeah that, i mean the bottom line there's is, so much potential. there's so much but yeah take our money and every anything you could do uh glover and rumble glover Got an uppercut about 20 seconds in. He came in with the the heavy pressure, paid for it. You know, either of those guys would have gone down on their swords, I think. We knew it was going to be a violent finish. I didn't think it would be that quick. I really hoped, prayed, and predicted that Glover would have, you know, just tried to get out of the first round. But Anthony Rumble Johnson, man, I mean, at this point, we're in Mark Hunt levels of face explosions and power. I am curious to see what he would do at heavyweight, to be quite well, honest with you. He said that, too. He said, somebody was like, hey, what are the odds of you going down to 85? Because he used to fight 70, which right. I, I can't state how, how surprised I am by that looking back. But they, they were like, what are the odds of you cutting one more weight class down to 85? Because he was supposed to fight Vidor there. Uh, and he was like, no, but I might go up. Right. And, and you know what? I think he does, matches up really well with a lot of heavyweights. I think, you know, and, and Dana White also uh, said something to the effect of if Jones gets out of his um, estrogen blocker uh, violation. Fiasco. Uh, fiasco, that maybe he would just do a number one contender fight between Jones and Rumble. Whatever, whatever, whatever. My point being is if Rumble didn't get by Jones or doesn't get by Cormier for the second time, then fuck it. Go up to heavyweight and yeah. see if you can knock out Stipe Miocic or whoever's you know, the champion you know, at the I'd time. Love, I love, I thought about it. The other day, I'd love to watch him fight JDS at heavyweight. Fuck yeah. Oh, that's such a good fight. I mean, the knockout power, uh, the boxing abilities, the raw size. I mean, it's just, it's a dream match. One other nice thing, too, um, just because sometimes you feel like your favorite fighters, they have to retire, right? Because they get older. And when I say older, I mean like 34 or 35 because <laughs> the life of a shorter is very uh is very short, but not at the heavyweight division. And we all know that power doesn't necessarily leave you as you get older, but speed does. So when you're in one of the lower weight classes, it's tough to keep up. But if Rumble Johnson is knocking out people at age 38, five years from now or whatever he is. He's only 32 now. So, so yeah, six years from now. Six years from now. I'm not going to be surprised. No, and I wouldn't. So, so, you know, bet on Rumble to be in the UFC here for a long time to come. Yeah, which is crazy after you think about him getting cut like all those years ago and having to go to World Series of Fighting. I was thinking of this, too. This new run in the UFC, you take out the Phil Davis fight, which now I don't even understand how Phil Davis survived for three rounds. (laughs) I mean, Rumble won the fight by unanimous decision, but Phil Davis didn't get knocked out. So you take that out, and then you take out his fight against Cormier, where Cormier wore him down. But to be fair, Rumble did rock Cormier one or two times. But you take out those two fights, and this is like, you could make a DVD called Rumble's KOs, and I would just watch that on repeat all day. Every fight ends in a face explosion. Absolutely. God damn. All right, so I think we already know what to do with Rumble. He's going to get either Jones in a number one contender, or he just gets Cormier the champion. 
We'll break that down as we get closer to it. For Glover, he's 37. I love him to death. He's older. You know, I think it's just name fights now. I mean, because this would have been the next title run. He lost to Jones in 2014, yeah, I, I, I built he, himself back up, and now this loss is, is kind of crippling for title chances. I, I think you're right, name name fights there, but you could also see I could also see him fighting a couple of uh, up and comers. I wouldn't be a gatekeeper. Yeah, I you would, know what? The, I wouldn't mind watching him fight Misha Serkinov or um, uh, Nikita, Nikita Krylov. Yeah. yeah, great call. Now here's the risk with that because I think that's where they positioned him, and he blew up OSP. You know what I mean? So, like, he's like a bad gatekeeper in that he'll probably beat a lot of the up-and-coming fighters. That's that's really true. <laughs> but, you know, it's just an interesting kind of problem to have, I guess. Kind of what, a Uriah Faber gatekeeper where we're like, damn, we can't keep him away from getting that close. Right. You know? It's it's interesting, though, too, because I really – we saw what happened with Cormier and Rumble. And, hey, if Rumble can knock out Cormier in the first two minutes, cool – but once he gets past like halfway through the first round, I think it's going to be more of the same. Yeah, with he's got to start him early. Start him early or, or die. And, uh, you know, to me, Glover Cormier would have been the better matchup, but I think that's out the window. Uh, we move on. Cowboy Cerrone versus Rick Story. Just he take it away. It's the greatest uh, combo in UFC it, history. Cor- uh, Cowboy Cerrone knocked out Rick Story. The, the four hit combo, and, and I. A hundred percent agree with you. Maybe the best four hit combo in in UFC history. Google that right now, it, people. It freaking straight up looked like something out of like Tekken or something like that. Mm-hmm. It it was just strung together so beautifully. And this is coming from somebody who thought Rick Story had a good shot in this fight. And I mean, Donald Cerrone did everything he could possibly need to do to Rick Story, and then some. Um, and then called out Eddie Alvarez, which to me is like one of the most shocking things in the world because. I mean, I guess he beat Eddie Alvarez, so he sees the possibility of going down there and just taking the title real quick. But, like, dude, you are wrecking it at 170. Just stay there for a little while. His contract is done, but him and Dana White... No, they, they actually found out that that was a mistake. He actually has one more fight on oh, Okay, yeah. and him and Dana White text back and forth like a bunch of girls. He's not going anywhere. I could also see uh, the potential for him versus Connor at 155 as well. Yeah, I mean, I see it, but, like, right now... Uh, I don't think there's a reason to put Connor at 155 unless it's for the title. So I don't think they'll do that. But, I mean, there is that possibility, I guess. So I want to go through some outstanding performers from the night. Main card was just awesome. You had four uh, KOs, TKOs, and then just an awesome piece of art in the main event. But you had Mike Perry making his debut. Uh, Kid has a lot of power at welterweight. Tim Means, friend of the show, came back with a vengeance. Just violent. No shocker there from a Tim Means fight. Uh, Raquel Pennington looked good. Uh, Artem Lobov and Chris Avilia, uh, it kind of freaked me out. First of all, Artem Lobov is not a good fighter. I'm sorry. Ah, 12 and 12. (laughs) uh, But Chris Avila, it was like single white female to me. Like, he looked like Nate Diaz. He stood like Nate Diaz. He paced the ring like Nate Diaz. He uh, is prone to leg kicks like Nate Diaz. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I mean, I wonder if Lobov and Connor just drew up the same exact game plan. Uh, Colby Covington, the, the wrestling machine, beat Max Griffin in the third round uh, via TKO and then our Italian friend Marvin Vittori with the guillotine choke in the first round over Alberto Uda to kick off the night very nice there and then uh, saving two of the better ones for last Lorenz Larkin uh, defeating Neil Magny god damn did Lorenz Larkin look good that body kick you know what I can't understand either so then right after that fight I was like man Lorenz Larkin's a bad dude how did I miss that one 
And you know what? I looked. He's 4-1 and one at welterweight. Mm-hmm. And his only loss is Albert Tumanoff by split decision. Mm-hmm. That's freaking crazy. And maybe I missed it because when he was at middleweight, he was very beatable. Sing it, sister. Yeah, he, he is a free agent now, though. Uh, he would be good in Bellator, to be honest I mean, with you. He'd probably it, be the 170 champ in Bellator yeah. or the 185 champ in Bellator, to be honest. I, I, mean, I could see right now in my crystal ball, I'm seeing Lorenz Larkin versus Rory McDonald in Bellator for the 170-pound title yeah. early next year. I'm not sold that Rory's leaving, but we'll talk about that on a different one. When it comes to it. And then this was the one I wanted to kind of save for last. You had Cody Garbrandt uh, starching Takeo Mizugaki. You were the first person to say this, Gumby. I want to give you all the credit in the world, and it's on record. You were the first person to say this, and I've heard it pick up steam now recently. Other people are picking up on it. Cody Garbrandt is like a mini Chuck Liddell. Yeah. All he's got to do is touch you. (laughs) Uh, So it's basically, I mean, not confirmed, but he talks shit to Dominic Cruz. Now you're getting this, like, backstage story where Dominic Cruz, the 135-pound champion in him, almost came to blows in the backstage area on Saturday. Did you see the the pay-per-view broadcast, too, when when Garbrandt called him out? Freaking Dominic Cruz stood up and waved his hands at him. Gave me goosebumps. Uh, That's the fight to make. Don't mess around with anything. I feel bad for TJ Dillashaw, but here's the nice thing. If Garbrandt wins, he's a former teammate of Dillashaw. You know the UFC marketing team will love to hype the shit out of that. And, and if Dominic Cruz wins, there's your rematch for Dillashaw. And meanwhile, Dillashaw is going to beat somebody who he's clearly head and shoulders better than. You know what I mean? He's going to fight somebody like Brian Caraway, and he's probably going to take care of Brian Caraway pretty easily. That's a great call, actually. Um, so that was 202. I think we can all agree it was better than 200. Yeah. You, uh, you want to know what the, the best part about this is, too, is when I looked at the fight card afterwards... Very possibly, coming off of this fight card, you have four different people who were on the card that are going to get title shots. Uh, you have Connor's going to fight a title shot. Rumble's going to fight a title shot. Cerrone might, and if he doesn't, Nate might. And then Garbrandt. And then C- Cody Garbrandt. Yeah. I mean, four title shots came out of this card. If for nothing else, the reason it was better than 200 was is that it had an actual impact. Very there, well. There's like a real impact and a real footprint of what this this pay per view did. Very well said. Uh, we will turn our attention now uh, because there's no rest in the UFC world with their schedule. This coming Saturday, August 27th, we're talking UFC on Fox 21, headlined by Maya versus Condit. It's a stacked main card, but just you know, the footnote: Maya Condit was originally on 202. Which is insanity. Yeah, could you imagine that fight have been on there, too? And then they moved it to this card. Uh, so we'll start with Damian Maya versus uh, Carlos Condit. Damian Maya is a jiu-jitsu master. He is a boa constrictor, a human boa constrictor. He chokes people for a living. Uh, he is on a five-fight win streak since losing to Rory McDonald back in February of 2014 coming off a rear naked choke over Matt Brown also should be noted he beat Gunnar Nelson famed for his jiu-jitsu prowess back in December of 2015 via unanimous decision so this dude is on the roll of his career marching towards a title shot but Carlos Condit is standing in his way this Saturday. We all love Carlos Condit. He's a little tornado of violence. He is coming off a loss to the then-champ Robbie Lawler in what was an amazing fight for the ages. Before that, he beat Tiago Alves via TKO. And before that, he lost to Tyron Woodley via knee injury back in March of 2014. So he is one and two in his last three. Such an interesting matchup. Who you got, Gumby? I'm going to go in this one. This one was 
tough because I, I know the odds are like razor close too, probably straight up even. But I'm going to go with Demi and Maya on this one. Whoa! Uh, the reason I think it is, is I think just since he got beat by Rory McDonald, his takedowns have gotten head and shoulders better. His jiu-jitsu was always maybe one of the best of all time. In MMA. As a matter of fact, I probably can't think of anybody except for maybe a prime BJ Penn who had better jiu-jitsu than Demian Maya. So when you think about that fact, he was already a killer on the ground. Now his ability to get you to the ground has gotten better and better and better and better. And I don't think... Is Carl- he is he going to get Carlos Condit to the I ground? I think he's going to get Carlos Condit to the ground. I don't think Carlos Condit is going to be able to avoid it all night. You know what I mean? I don't think Carlos is going to knock him out. And if Carlos doesn't knock him out, he still has to deal with those takedowns when he's gassing in the fourth round. And I think even then, if Maya gets one or two in the fourth or one and two in the fifth and Condit's tired out, dude, he's going to choke him out. Well, I think you have some credence there. Now, we're talking about a strict wrestler. Johnny Hendricks took Carlos Condit down 12 times in their three-round fight. GSP, who, uh, even though he didn't wrestle growing up, became maybe the greatest MMA wrestler of all time. That's straight up true. Uh, Seven takedowns in their five-round fight. Martin Kampman got him down six times. And Tyron Woodley got him down three times before his knee exploded. Robbie Lawler and Tiago Alves did not get Carlos Condit down. I, my, I'd be surprised if either of them attempted a takedown. They probably didn't. They just wanted to stand and bang. But, uh, you know, Maya has uh, those kind of Gracie 101 jiu-jitsu takedowns. Yeah, the, like, weird leg trip. And yeah. And all of a sudden down in half guard. So, I don't know, man. I mean, it's crazy. I agree with you. Uh, what... You know, so many strict, like, gi guys, the traditional BJJ guys, can't apply their jits to MMA. Uh, you see it time and again, but Damian Maya is not that. No, I mean, he, I mean the way... Him that, and Jacare. Yeah. yeah. The way that they've changed their game for that, too. And, you know, he, like you said, he's got those BJJ one takedowns, but he, he also now does them up against the cage. You know, he's still got those those foot trips and those, you know, uh, you know body locks on the top. But he does them up against the cage now. He's he's found a way to make it work for MMA. So I, I think that's the beautiful progression in his game since he's lost to Rory Mack. And I think that's why he beats uh, Carlos Condit. Now, it should be said that Carlos Condit, uh, you will admit, has the advantage standing oh, on by his a feet. mile. But you know what? I said that about Matt Brown, too. <laughs> right. Uh, 15 knockouts uh, on Carlos Condit's. Resume. Uh, we'll move now to a man who is trying to get his game back on the right track. I, of course, am talking about Anthony Pettis. He has dropped down from 155, the former 155 champ, former Wheaties box uh, cover athlete. Uh, he's making his uh, featherweight debut. He's coming off three losses in a row, lost his title to RDA, just blistered for five rounds, lost to Eddie Alvarez via split decision back in January. Eddie just, you know, wrestle-fucked him up against the cage. But then the surprising one was the UFC gave him Edson Barbosa, striker versus striker, and he wasn't able to win that. Edson Barbosa outpointed him for unanimous decision win back in April. So now Pettis will make the move down to 145, and he is fighting Charles Oliveira du Bronx, the Brazilian. Du Bronx is his nickname. Uh, Oliveira is coming off a win of Miles Jury via guillotine choke. 
he lost to Max Holloway before that via very weird neck injury, if you remember that one. Yeah, it was like the esophagus tear, right? Or something, something like that. weird like that. Uh, beat Nick Lentz and Jeremy Stevens before that, but uh, regardless, he's 2-1 and one in his last three, the loss being the weird esophagus injury. Who you got? Well, and, and you know, you said he's 2-1 and one in his last three, if you, you know, you can throw out that esophagus tear, because, you know, I don't think that hardly counts for anything. He won three more before that. Uh, actually, the, he won four before that. Yeah, so, I mean, he, I mean, this is a guy who's beaten Jeremy Stevens. This is a guy who, like, beat the crap out of Frankie Edgar for one round, too. He had some really good moments against Frankie Edgar. I mean, I think Frankie Edgar... One via unanimous decision in three rounds, but just the fact that he didn't get finished. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Edgar won all three rounds, but there was definitely some really bright moments in there for Oliveira. So uh, this is a guy who's got a lot of potential, and and call me crazy, I'm taking him here against Pettis. Whoa! Pettis is on a three-fight skid. you got to imagine he's starting to question where his career is going. And the other thing about Pettis, too, is if I'm betting on this fight, I have no idea how he takes this weight cut. He's never done this weight cut to our knowledge. So this is a guy who's got to be questioning himself. 0-3, couldn't beat a striker, couldn't beat two grapplers. You're going to put him in there with a pretty damn good grappler who's got some decent stand-up, and you're going to tell him to lose 10 pounds. I can't feel confident picking him. Uh, fair enough. Well, uh, the odds on this are Pettis, the favorite, at minus 185. You get Oliveira, Oliveira as a plus 160 dog. And I failed to mention before, you said the odds on Condit were uh, on Condit Maya were razor thin, and you were correct. Condit, the minus 120 favorite, to Damian Maya, a plus C-note, plus 100 dog. Uh, and I agree with what you're saying. I have faith in Anthony Pettis, though. I'm going to pick him here. I've long said I think he would do well at 145. He is not a big 155-er. He's a man who has never, I repeat, never uh, been finished. All five of his losses in his professional career via decision. Uh, I'll go with Pettis here just because I'm a fanboy. We move on, uh, and you have Paige Van Zant coming off. Uh, her debut to America, if you will. She is a Dancing with the Stars runner-up, <laughs> uh, but became a big name, and she's going to be fighting Rowdy Beck Rawlings. Actually, what's Rowdy? What's her name? Rowdy yeah, it's Beck Rowdy. Rawlings. Okay, yeah. Yep. Um, you're, you're right on that one. I was trying to remember. Uh, so Van Zant before the Dancing with the Stars uh, debut, lost to Rose Namajunas uh, via rear naked choke in the fifth round of a fight back in December of 2015. Very badass fight. Uh, Paige got bloody blade job, as they say in wrestling. Uh, fended off some arm bars. She's obviously double-jointed, but succumbed to the RNC late in the fight. She beat Alex Chambers before that via arm bar, and she beat Felice Herrig via decision before that. Uh, Rowdy Beck Rollins, the Australian if you check her out on social media, this girl's got a potty mouth on her. Uh, she's a wild one, I tell you. She's coming off a win over C. He Ham uh, and beat Lisa Ellis before that via rear naked choke. Lost to Heather Joe Clark before that, so she is two and one in her last three. Break it down. So for me in this one, you know what I had underestimated of Beck Rawlings in the past is her boxing. She's actually a much better boxer than people give her credit for. I mean, Soyan is a fighter who who really gave Joanne Calderwood all she could handle at 115. So the boxing of Rawlings could come into play here, but for me, this is all about Van Zant's takedowns. Um, you know, with the exception of Rose Namajunas, she just took down and beat up everybody she fought. She did it to Felice Herrig, and she did it to um, 
who was the one she beat before that? Uh, who did Paige beat before? Yeah, Felicia? Kaylin Curran. Kaylin Curran. Kaylin yeah. Curran. Via TKO. It. Yep. So, I mean, like, she she absolutely took down and threw those two around. I see no difference here. She's going to do that to Beck Rollins. Probably TKO. All right. You heard it here first. And if you want to know the odds on this, you could get Beck Rollins as the plus 175 dog. Paige and her star power is a minus 210 favorite. And kicking off the main card on Fox, you have two. If you're a UFC fanboy, you're a fan of both these guys. So it's kind of like worlds exploding. If you're like that just bleed guy from back in the day, <laughs> you love just, Joe Lozon and Jim Miller guy. because these two guys just fucking bleed. Joe Lozon is coming off one of the bigger wins of his career, believe it or not, at UFC 200. Uh, first man to ever officially TKO Diego Sanchez. Lost to Evan Dunham before that. Beat Takanori Gomi before that. And I'm just going to go back one more. Lost to Ally Akinta before that. So he's 2-2 two and two in his last four. But, kind of, but coming off a crazy knockout. Of, of Diego. Yeah. Uh, Jim Miller is coming off a win over the aforementioned Takanori Gomi, also at UFC 200. He lost to Diego Sanchez via unanimous decision the aforementioned Diego Sanchez, back at UFC 196, and he lost to Michael Chiesa via rear naked choke back in December. So he is 1-2 and two in his last three. But if I peel it back one more, he beat Danny Castillo. So he's also 2-2 two and two in his last four. They're two legends of the undercard. They're two guys who come up with a lot of fight of the night bonuses. Uh, who you got here? And, and another thing we failed to mention, too, is there are two guys who have fought before. This was the co-main event on uh, UFC 155, which was Velazquez Dos Santos 2. One of the best fights I've ever seen. Yeah. I love that fight. Yeah, and so this is Miller Lozon 2, uh, with Miller winning the first one uh, unanimously, 29-28 across the board. But I think that their career trajectory, while it's very similar in a lot of ways, you know, they've constantly been that guy you want to watch and get bonuses I think the way that it swung for Lozon is is way better than it's swinging for Miller. I mean, that that win against uh, Diego Sanchez showed he could box, and we we know both of these guys can grapple. So you got to imagine that it's going to be a stalemate on the mat. And when you look at how their standup has looked over the last you know three fights each, I, I kind of favor Lozon on the feet for this one. Well said. I, I, I agree with you. I think uh, Lozon is on the upswing, actually, uh, so to speak, even though I don't think he'd be like a title contender, but he's looked good here recently, whereas Miller, it kind of feels like the stock is on the way down, and that pains me to say, because I've always been a big Miller fan. You could get Jim Miller as a plus 125 dog, Lozon the minus 145 favorite. So that was the main card, Gumby. We will get to the prelims on the other side of this interview. We actually got to speak with one of the prelim fighters, Jeremy Kennedy. He'll be fighting on UFC Fight Pass, kicking off the whole show. He's a lightweight. He'll be fighting Alex Ricci. Uh, we caught up with him when he was supposed to fight uh, Josh Emmett. Who we also have. We'll, we'll give you uh, an abridged version of his interview at the end of the show. But, yeah, he uh, he tore, a, I believe, the AC joint in his shoulder. Uh, and now he's not he's out of the fight, so he's not going to be fighting, which is funny because we actually talked to him about injuries anyway. So, um, And that's why we still wanted to play the interview. Uh, Alex Ritchie is stepping in on short notice to fight Jeremy Kennedy. But we'll hear about the man. Who is Jeremy Kennedy? It was a good interview. We'll play it for for you here but first i'd like to mention that new england submission fighting brings you this interview new england submission fighting is a mixed martial arts gym in the lovely picturesque quaint town of amherst massachusetts class of six days a week no gi jiu-jitsu is the specialty dave roy kirik janess 
are the trainers there. They are legendary in the MMA community. They run the website MixedMartialArts.com. Check out the website at AmherstMMA.com. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with UFC fighter Jeremy Kennedy. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we are talking with Jeremy Kennedy, who fights Josh Emmett at UFC on Fox 21 on August 27th. So, uh, Jeremy, you know, you're relatively young getting into the UFC, only 23 years old. Talk about what it was like getting that call from the UFC. Where were you, and, uh, you know, what were the emotions running? Um, yeah, it was uh, pretty surreal. You know, it was like that was, that was my goal when I first started, you know, my whole journey. And uh, when I finally got the call, it was, it was up a weight class, but I mean, it was just yes right away. I didn't, I didn't hesitate at all. Um, then I got onto my coaches, make sure that I got their approval, but I'd already said yes. And uh, <laughs> I was, um, I was teaching uh, jiu-jitsu actually at one of the smaller schools that I I teach at. And uh, yeah, so I was, I had to still finish the class, which was, which was kind of hard to do with the news that I just heard. But uh, yeah, without saying anything, but um, yeah. So I, I mid mid class, I just my phone went off, so I had to quickly answer it, and then uh, said yes, hung up, and uh, yeah, finished up the class. Yeah, you got to answer when the UFC calls. Um, so you, yeah. you you know you mentioned you you're going up ten pounds for this fight, uh, up from featherweight to lightweight. Um, is it your plan in the future to move back down to featherweight, or is this like a permanent move as you like bulk up? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's that's been the the thing the whole time my whole career just because. Everyone was always saying, because my frame, I'm, I'm, I'm six feet, you know, and uh, pretty broad shoulders and everything like that. And uh, they say, you know, when you're starting to get older, I'm going to have to move up. So uh, this was no real surprise. Like, I'm, yeah, 55 is, I mean, 45 is my weight class, and that would have been, been ideal. But, uh, yeah, 55 I don't really have too big of a problem with. I mean, obviously in the future I would, I would like to be 45, but – if that's not what the UFC has in plans and they want me to stay at 155, then it's going to be a permanent move. You know, I'd probably ask them for, you know, a couple months to be able to just work on my strength training and, and become an actual lightweight where featherweight isn't a possibility anymore anyways. But uh, that, that obviously doesn't come overnight, so that takes a long time. So I would probably just, it would have to be a permanent move. I don't want to be in between, you know, hopping down and then maybe 55 or maybe 45. It's, they're going to be either I'm a featherweight or a lightweight. After what, what do you walk around at now? Uh, well, 170. You know, so it's uh, it's it's when I mean I'm still eating clean and everything. I could I could put on a little bit more weight if I wanted to, but I mean I like the idea of, of coming in the fresher guy, not having a big cut or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I mean 45 is always a little bit strenuous, and I know how I feel after that, so I know how he's going to feel at 55. And I think I like the idea of me uh, coming in nice and fresh, not much of a weight cut, and uh, no real, de- real serious dehydration. Especially for that UFC debut where the adrenaline dump is usually pretty high. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk a little bit about your uh, your background. I know you spent some time training in uh, Thailand for a while, even at a few pro fights out there. Uh, do you feel like that's influenced your training style or your fighting style at all? Um. No, I mean, I was I was out there for all of 2014, and I think the the biggest benefit from that was more uh, like becoming a professional. Like I went out there and I was only two and zero, uh, and I was I was training hard and everything, but I wasn't training like a a real professional. You know, like 
I wasn't uh, just living the lifestyle. And then when I went out there, that's all that is, is just living the lifestyle. You know, you wake up, you train, you re- any, any downtime is just resting, recovering, getting massages or whatever it is, you know, eating the proper food year round, not just in fight camps and stuff like that. I think that's what really changed for me once I went out there. I, like I lived out there for a year. And that really, when I came home, I was just a completely different athlete, you know. Fun, fun. So, and you, uh, so what contributed to your move back to, to Canada? Uh, just, just getting rooted, you know, like, you know, I got engaged when I came home. I, I got a full-time teaching job, like martial arts. So I was kind of just a little bit more rooted now. So I can't really go back there for that long. I still do plan on heading, heading out there, you know, for a month on at a time. But uh, I just came home, you know, got, got rooted. Understood. So being a young guy, new to the UFC, making his debut, only 23, who are some, you know, maybe legendary or current UFC fighters you would hope to emulate your career after? Being from Canada, I have a feeling you're going to say one of GSP or Rory McDonald, uh, and yeah. that's a fine answer, but anyone else as well? Um, do you mean by... Uh like how their career went or, or their fighting style kind of thing. How about a bit of both? I mean, who do you kind yeah. of look at and are I mean, just super impressed by? I mean, obviously, you know, especially being Canadian, GSP, you can't <laughs> not love how, how his career went. You know, he dominated every fight, you know, always, and went out on top. He's one of the only guys that I can think of, of champions that left on a loss, you know? I mean, on a win, even <laughs> though it was controversial. But I was, hey, was going to say, did you have him winning yeah. that fight? Because a lot yeah. of people didn't. Yeah. No, that's the thing. But hey, uh, on the books, you know, on paper, he he went out on on a win. Yes. And uh, it's not like a lot of guys can say. You can see, like the Liddell era ended pretty badly. You know, Anderson, not the way you would want to see like the greatest guy ever go out and stuff like that. Where GSP, he he went out on his own terms. I kind of respect that. As for for fighting styles, you know, I I like the I like the scrappy guys. You know, like BJ Penn was my favorite growing up, and uh, Nate Diaz is probably my favorite fighter now. So. uh just that kind of style, you know, real scrappy, likes to strike, likes the grappling and everything, just all around. So this interview might even air after the fight takes place, uh, but if you had to give us, you mentioned Nate Diaz, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask, Diaz versus Connor, UFC 202, <laughs> what would your prediction be? Oh, I'm, I'm going Diaz there. You know, I, I, I don't really like Connor. Um, I hope eventually I get to fight him. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm going with my boy Diaz there. Uh, what don't you like about Connor? Just the the mouth, the way he runs it, or just, just yeah, just the, the brashness. You know, like you got to respect it for where he's gotten to in the sport and how how short of a time. You know, a lot of fighters want to be like that, that just can't, aren't that quick witted. You know, but I mean, I look at those guys, and if you had a whole sport of Chael Sonnen's and McGregor's, it would just be annoying, man. You know, it's like talking trash can only get you so far but yes he, he's backed it up but a lot of his stuff is just really ah it, I know, it's hard hard to put my finger on it he's just just so out there you know like just so brass that it's like do you even believe yourself kind of thing? <laughs> which which it does but so so yeah. let's let's take it from one prediction to another and, and get the talk back on you so uh you know august 27th ufc on fox 21 you're fighting uh josh emmett who had kind of an impressive debut uh what are yeah. you predicting for your fight um i just predict my hand being raised you know i don't uh 
I don't have a real, I don't really even know how the play, fight's going to play out. You know, I have a little a bit of an idea in my head. But, I mean, with our two styles, I think the fight can become a striking match, can become a grappling match, can become a up-and-down, all-over-the-place match. You know, it, it all depends once we get our hands on each other and, you know, feel each other out. So, uh, I don't know where the finish or, or even if a finish comes, but I, I know I'm going to win this fight. So there you have it, Gumby, Jeremy Kennedy. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, too, because we, we talk about a lot of guys who've, who've uh, gone the, the Twitter route of trying to get a UFC contract. And if you're an avid follower of Twitter, it barely ever works. So it's funny to hear that a guy who got his whole fan base on his, on his side, <laughs> uh, that it finally did work and he gets a hometown fight. I love it. Um, so going through the prelims here, we won't have to break down each and every one, but who are you liking here? Who do you think is going to have a standout performance? I mean, you got to get pumped up for any Sam Alvey fight. I mean, not just because he's a friend of the show, but the dude has legitimate one-touch power every single time he steps out there. He's fighting Kevin Casey, who if you're counting at home, uh, all four of his losses have come by knockout. So you got to imagine that Sam Alvey's one shot away from a 50G check. Um I mean, I really do like Jeremy Kennedy as a young prospect. The dude's only 23, and now he's going to fight a guy on short notice, so it could be a chance for him to showcase his skills. Um, and I'll always throw it up, too, to, to Kyle Bochniak. The the guy took a short notice fight against Charles Rosa in Boston, and this is the first time he's getting to fight after that. So he's going to fight a guy off of tough Latin America, Enrique Barzola. Um, so I'm I'm big on Alvy Bochniak. Uh, and Jeremy Kennedy, and also I'll, I'll throw Gareth McClellan in there too just because I love the, uh, the African MMA scene. <laughs> uh, all right, awesome. Well, you can look for Gumby's parlays to play, uh, props and parlays. We post uh, the ones we like to the Facebook page. You can search us, Top Turtle MMA, on Facebook. And uh, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back next week with another good show. But before we go, we wanted to play you this interview with Josh Emmett. We didn't want to just throw it away because he backed out of his fight. Because this dude trains a team alpha male. He had a lot of interesting things to say about training. Some crazy stories about his hand just blowing up in the past. I won't give away any more. But take a listen to this. Josh Emmett's a good dude, and we hope to see him back real soon. We will end the podcast on this interview. So this is David Tremonti saying thank you so much for joining us. He was Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA Manifesto. And this is Team Alpha Male Fighter, UFC Fighter, and now injured, but hopefully making a comeback soon, Josh Emmett. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we are talking with Josh Emmett. So Josh, let's start off, uh, let's start off talking about the thing that was on my mind when we, we booked this interview with you. Let's talk about that finger. Uh, by far one of the most gruesome injuries I've ever seen, especially one of the worst hand injuries. Uh, how long did it take to heal that up? You got pins in that thing now? Uh, what, how, how is it recovering? Uh, it's actually recovered really well. It, uh, it only took, on about six to eight weeks, and then uh, I've, I've been training the whole time. I just haven't been able to uh, completely, you know, make a fist within that eight weeks or, or hit really hard. I was hitting a lot of, like, the foam sticks with my boxing coach. But uh, about two months in, I got cleared by my doctor to get back to full training, and, and I have been ever since. I don't have any pins in there. It's uh, It was actually not as bad as it looked. Everyone thought it was a compound fracture, but it turned out to be just a compound dislocation, which I didn't even know was possible. So when he uh, he kicked my finger, the uh, bone dislocated from the joint and punctured the skin, 
and it was just hanging out there. So literally the doctors just popped it back in and, uh, you know, cleaned it out, stitched it up and, and casted it. So I didn't have to have any surgery and all the tendons were intact. I didn't mess any of that up. So they said I was extremely lucky, um, given the circumstances, but, uh, yeah, so it's doing great. And, uh, I'm excited to get back in there only after about three months. Got it. And now you took this last fight on, uh, on short notice. It, and now you had more of a full camp, although would you call it a full camp or was it kind of tough to, you know, have that injury and not train at full blast? Or are we considering this full camp? Uh, yeah, it's probably not a full camp. The, uh, the last fight, the tuck fight, I, I took on, you know, it was like four day notice. Um, I, I got the call in the evening, the next day I was hopping on the plane and then I got in the Netherlands, I think Wednesday or Thursday and it was, you know, weighing in Friday it was it was insane. But uh, this was about five five weeks. They were kind of talking about it. Uh, Joe Silva called and just asked if my my finger would be okay uh, if I'd be healthy enough to fight. And you know, without any hesitation, I'm like, let's do it. I didn't even know who I was fighting. And then they they found me an opponent, uh, Jeremy Kennedy. He's from Vancouver, British Columbia, and. Uh, yeah, I'm all for it. And, uh, but five week camp, I'm always in shape. I just fought three, three and a half months ago. Like I said, I, I was training the week I got back from Europe. Um, and, and I've really had like a five week hard, hard camp. So I have been cleared by then. So I've been sparring, doing everything possible. So, you know, I, I'm, I was ready to fight last week or tonight. If we had to fight, I'll, I'll fight him tonight. So I'll definitely be ready here in 10 days. Nice. And now you are new to the UFC 1-0, but 10-0 as a professional. Could you give us just a little bit of the, you know, abridged version of your background? You wrestled at JUCO College, is that correct? Yes. I, uh, so I'm from Sacramento, grew up wrestling. Um, I wrestled at Sac City College, it's a junior college. And then uh, I actually went into Uriah's gym in 2006 when he first opened it because I was really interested in and fighting and getting into, um, yeah, just starting my career because I've been a huge fan of it since the beginning. And then I got a scholarship to go wrestle at Menlo College. It's a NAIA school in the Bay Area, right next to Stanford. And and that's where the likes of Ashley Evans-Smith, she's in the UFC. Oh, yeah. She went, uh, Cody Gibson, he was on my team that year. Danny Castillo went there. Uh, my buddy Lee Morrison, he fights in M1 Global. So we've had a, a, a lot of guys. Carla Sparza was there. It's kind of crazy. Like, it's such a small, private college. And I think out of everyone, we've probably had, including myself, maybe six people that are in the UFC or been in there. Brian Benoit was there. <laughs> and, and there's only 800 students total. But anyways, I uh, I went there knowing that I would get better at wrestling which would help my MMA career and I could get my degree just so in case I need something to fall back on so I, I did that graduated in 2010 came back to Sacramento and, and started where I left off um, so got right back in the gym and I, I trained for about four months and then I had two amateur fights and then went pro uh, after that and the rest is history I've just been fighting c- consistently and I saw that on the record. You had the first pro fight was 2011, and then there was a bit of a layoff to 2013. Were you dealing with an injury? Yeah, that's a, it's another hand injury, same thing. 
my first pro fight, I, uh, I broke my hand, uh, my second metacarpal. So the index finger just snapped it in half the first like 30 seconds of the fight. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I, I took him down and hit him with a huge overhand left and just, and just completely snapped the bone in half. So it was just, uh, I felt another weird sensation in that, that same hand. I had some bad luck with my left hand and, uh, I could feel the bone just flopping around in there. So I went back to my, my corner after the first round. I was like, Hey, my hand's broken. And they're like, just throw that straight, right? Take him down and beat him up with elbows. And I was like, you got it. And, and that's what I ended up doing to kind of grind out the decision or unanimous. But, uh, so I was out for 10 months. I actually had surgery on that. They put pins and everything in there. I came back after, you know, 10 month layoff. I was training for my second pro fight and then my very last sparring session um, of that camp, I ended up breaking the exact same hand, same bone um, in sparring a week before my second scheduled pro fight. And so I was out for another 10 months, surgery, physical therapy, all this stuff. So it was a, a bit depressing, but uh, I, I came back in 2013. And then from there I was I stayed healthy, no injuries, and I was just trying to fight as much as possible just because with my age, I felt like I was getting up there, and I got into the uh, the sport a little, you know, I got a little late, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and that, I mean, that's crazy, all the hand injuries. It sounds just more like a, a freak thing. They've happened years apart. You've obviously bounced back very well from the earlier injuries. You've had TKO victories via punches in your career, but it just sounds like you've had hand grenades go off in your hand, non-existent hand grenades just blow up your hands. <laughs> and that's what everyone was saying. They're like, man, you hit too hard. Even I had to get <laughs> different, different gloves because, with 16 ounce gloves and everything, I swear within two, three months, I'm busting out the stitching and the pads are coming out. And I don't see that. That doesn't happen with anyone. And like me, every single pair of gloves. So I, I went and spent quite a bit of money on the, the winning gloves. And those have been, you know, money. Free plug right there. Um, the uh, the other question we had for you, you're an alpha male guy, and we don't ask this on, you know, to stir up drama or the TMZ side. It's such a high-profile gym. They've had different coaches kind of come and go, obviously, Bang, Capman. Who's the, co- who's the coach now, or is it head coach, or is it more of like a revolving door? Are the veterans kind of leading those practices and coming up with game plans for you? Who do you consider your head coach at Team Alpha Male? Um, yeah, we have a whole new uh, coaching system. It's been this way. Um, so our head coach is Justin Buckles. You know, he, he's right. uh, been part of the team ever since. Even when there was other coaches there like Bang and Campman, um, he was still working with the guys, running some practices. But now he's actually just full-time head coach, running all the practices and getting uh, you know compensated for that. And then our head jiu-jitsu coach is uh, – Chris Holdsworth, you know, just because he's mm-hmm. kind of stepped away from the game for a little bit with his head injuries. So he, he's doing a phenomenal job. We have our, our wrestling coach is Danny Castillo. And then, uh, you know, our head boxing coach is Joey Rodriguez. And then I work with my, my jiu-jitsu coach, Felipe uh, Braggio and Fabio Prado. So it's, uh, it, it's awesome. I think it's the, the best it's ever been. And these guys are 100% committed to just coaching. They're not fighting. That's all they're they're doing. They're running a great program, and and 
as far as our team goes, we're, we're doing really well. And we have a, a huge crop of up-and-comers that people haven't even heard of that are just, you know, they're, they're great fighters and, and they're going to be the future and, and everyone will, you know, hear of them shortly. All right. This has been Josh Emmett. He's 10-0. Thanks a lot, Josh. Awesome. Thanks for having me.